As you can see, we've got a packed room tonight. Um, first Wednesday is the, uh, the, the one-time meeting a month that we have the first Wednesday. That's why we name it that first Wednesday of every month to talk about issues of faith and culture. We deeply believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And so there is not one topic or one issue that Jesus is not Lord over. In the past, we've talked about um, topics like politics, immigration. We've had some art nights, uh, things like that. And tonight, we've got a, um, a pretty important topic. We're going to talk about dating. Uh, and dating not just for single people, but also for married people. And um, so that's the topic we're going to take tonight. Before we dive into to that topic, I just want to give you a preview of where we're going in the next few months. Um, next month, we're going to be talking about work, faith and work, and how does the biblical story shape the way we think about work and the way that we work. And then in April, we're going to do another art night. And so um, that's an opportunity where we have artists who showcase their different art, poetry, music, uh, and those sorts of things. Um, but like I said, tonight we're going to talk about uh, dating, dating for, for married couples, dating for singles. And um, what we thought would be really good is if we could, if we could bring a guest speaker in. And as, as you may or may not know, uh, here at Redemption, we don't want to just view what happens with redemption as the only thing that's happening. And so there are a number of churches and a few in particular that we have a tremendous amount of respect for and pastors in the city that we really love, that we pray for constantly. And one of those is Aaron Daly, who's the pastor of Life Connection Church in Central Phoenix. And so we thought he would be a great guy to come tonight and speak on this topic. So uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray for him and invite him up. But just to let you know about the format of the night, typically we do about 20 to 30 minutes of teaching, and then we have a 30-minute uh, um, uh, panel up here. And, and the panel will include uh, Aaron and his, and his wife Dana, uh, Ricardo and Holly, and then also Andy and Cindy Carrillo, who, who are members here. And during that time, you'll be able to text in questions. You'll just follow the instructions that will be up there. Um, You'll, you'll text that number, you'll write the word all of life, and then whatever question you have, and then they'll answer the questions up here. So that's it for me. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Aaron up, and uh, we'll get going. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for the comprehensive nature of your gospel, that there isn't one area of life that you don't speak to. And we just thank you for the ways in which you care for what we're talking about. And not just the subject, but the people. And so uh, we pray your blessing on them. We pray that you would use Aaron tonight. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Give Aaron a hand. I want you all to know that I'm so thankful to uh, be here tonight. And I tell you what, I am kind of... Uh, excited to talk to you about this topic, but at the same time, I know that there's some of y'all that are just ready to, to scope some people out. So right after tonight, after the texting, we're going to be setting up three minute dating sessions and, uh, I will be hosting that. And then we'll have the pastoral staff ready to, uh, to do 
premarital counseling and everything tonight, okay? So we have set everything up for you guys. We want to see a bunch of weddings happening right after this. Um, I remember the first time I met Dana and, and um, I, I was in college and in Dallas, Texas. I was hanging out with one of my friends. Actually, we were going out to apply for uh, a job. So I, I just got to school. I was trying to find a job. And so I went to, to Spaghetti Factory to find a job. And I was in there filling out an application. And I was sitting in the kind of the, the, the there's this ramp that comes down. And I was sitting there filling out the application. And, and, and I remember Dana in her uniform walking down this ramp and everything just just slowed down and it kind of it kind of went something like this it just got real slow and all of a sudden it just went where's 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 it at i wanted to show you this here you'll love it you'll love it i know you will <laughs> everything slowed down no it's not working okay that's all right that's right. Everything slowed down. And then it, 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 some music started playing. There was some music on here. Let me, see if I, let me see if I could get it. Because this is, some music really did start playing at, at, at one point. And oh, and maybe, maybe this will work. Here, let's see. It slowed down. I saw her coming down. have had those kinds of moments where everything, everything slowed down. I remember it. Her hair, there was no wind in there, but for some reason, her hair was blowing in the wind and, and, and she had her nice khakis on with her, with her, 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 her red collared shirt. And I remember going, turning to my friend sitting next to me and going, ah, that's, that's, that's the one right there. That's, that's, that's it. And, and, and I don't know if I'm prophetic or pathetic or whatever, but uh, it was over with. Now, Dana and I dated and we had our ups and downs. And I'm not saying our life and our dating and everything is something to model for all of you guys. But I know what it is. Sometimes we think, you know, after being married for now for us 15 years, we have five kids, which... Yeah, you can clap for that. Go ahead. Uh, that's another pet peeve of mine. Every time I say I got five kids, people are like, oh, bless your heart, young man. Um, I love every one of my children. We knew for, for, for forever that we wanted to have a big family. And it's a huge blessing. But a lot of times... What ends up happening is, and I'm going to have some slides, if you could put those up there on the screen. What ends up happening is, when we think of dating, if you could, uh, if we could find that, that slideshow, uh, what ends up happening when we think of dating is that we end up thinking about this word, delight. But tonight, what I want to talk to you about is not as much of delight, because when we think of dating, we all know those feelings 
and those emotions that come with dating and all of the kind of, the, the kind of idea of am I supposed to marry this one or what's supposed to happen and, and the staying up. I remember, you know, no matter how busy we were with college and work, we would always find time for each other. I remember laying in bed at night, falling asleep, going, you hang up. No, okay, you hang up. Okay, you know, let's count to three and we'll both hang up at the same time. One, two, three. You still there? I am too. <laughs> you know, making all the time we can for each other. And so the delight factor is what all of us are looking for. But here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And that is this word devoted. This word devoted has a lot of implications when it comes scripturally, but I also think it applies to this word delight because delight grows as it is, as it is planted in devotion. If you want delight to grow, you have to plant delight in devotion. But devotion has beauty as it displays delight. So devotion by itself if it doesn't have delight, doesn't have beauty. Let me give you this example, right? You talk to a young couple who's about to get engaged. They cannot see if, if for anything, anything bad about each other. Like in premarital counseling, one of my main objectives is to stir up a good fight that could break them up. You know what I'm saying? Because they haven't fought over anything. And even if there's something that bothers them, they will not say anything. And I'm like, listen, you don't hate this about them? I'm just trying to look at him. I mean, he doesn't even look that good. What are you, what are you looking at, you know? So I'm trying to, to, to stir them. They can't see anything bad about each other. But then you go to the other side and you see this old couple who's been married for a while. And you go to them and you say, hey man, we're getting divided. And they're like, oh, are you sure about that? An old ball and chain. Are you sure you're ready for this commitment? And they just, they just bog you down with all of the weight of devotion. And they're trying to crush your delight that you have in one another. And here's what, here's what we have to know. That if we're going to really understand dating, we, 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 we do have to have delight, but we also have to have devotion because one without the other should not exist. Delight can't last without devotion and devotion is pointless without delight. Who cares if you're devoted to something if you don't delight in them? Who cares if you're committed to someone if you don't delight in them? But here's what happens when we understand delight and devotion. Because if, if we really think about this as a picture of the gospel, this is how our relationship with Christ should look. Can you say amen to that? Now, I'm in the inner city, so people say amen back to me, okay? So I, I will I, I will ask you for that just to stroke my ego, okay? It's, it's an insecurity thing for me. So uh, uh, can you say amen? amen? Thank you very much. Y'all are charismatic. Okay, thank you. Um, officially. Now, so what ends up happening is, is that if you have a relationship with God that's purely devotion, nobody's attracted to it. You talk about, I read my Bible all this time. I prayed all this much. I do this, but you have no joy and delight in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
But somebody who just has this sloppy kind of, I just love Jesus, and there's no commitment and devotion and outward working of that spirit in their life, then people are like, that's, that's not a relationship at all. It hasn't transformed them, their lives at all. And so it's important for us to understand that delight and devotion, when we're talking about dating, need to come into play. And this is true in marriage. The next slide, let me show you this, because I'm not going to talk a lot about dating in marriage. But if you could go to the dating in marriage one for me. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about dating in marriage tonight, but here's what I want you to understand. Dana and I have been married for 15 years. And we date, I'm talking about get babysitters for the kids. I'm talking about with five kids. Can you imagine how difficult that is? Somebody married in here? Can you say amen to that? I'm talking about going out somewhere, even if you don't have but 10 bucks and maybe sitting there and sucking on a lollipop and talking to each other, right? I'm talking about renting a movie and going to your, going somewhere and then just what I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not saying, I'm not saying all these elaborate kind of expensive things, but every week with few exceptions, we have dated over the last 15 years, every week. And when I tell married couples that they're like, Oh my, how, how do you do what? How do you do that? I mean, they freak out. Like I'm saying, that's your, the dude's like, don't, don't say that, please. I mean, there's no way I can keep up with that. And the wife starts giving all the reasons they can't. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. I'm not laying a burden or a weight on you to say, you got to start dating every week. But I will tell you this. If you do not start to see dating in your marriage as devotion that cultivates your delight in one another, you start to see yourself drifting apart. What we have to understand is why I date my wife. You want to hear this revelation? Because I like her. I love her. And if I do not cultivate that, I am prone to forget it. I'm prone to get wrapped up in other things. It's like our relationship with Christ where it says we're to gather as the body of Christ. And when the church comes together, they're supposed to remind each other of the delight they have. And when they're around the table, the communion table, when they're hearing these words, when they're singing, all of these kinds of things is a cultivation of the delight we have in God. It's not a, it's not just separate from delight. Coming to a service is boring. Or even if it's exciting, it's just self-centered. But when we have a deep love for God that we want to cultivate and we come together and we're remembering the gospel and we're rehearsing it, it makes sense. It's the same thing when it comes to dating my wife. I want to remember the covenant we have with one another. And so I put time into it. I pastor. I work a full-time job. I have five kids. If I don't date my wife every week, for me, I'll begin to... Look at her as just a roommate. I want to cultivate that. Number two is I'm remembering the covenant we've made. Number three, it's an example to our children. We have five children. And all of them, we say, we're going out on a date. And it's just become a part of our life as a family. They get excited. Are you going on a date tonight? Who's going to watch us? You know? They, they see that. And you know what? I want my boys to see that. 
I want my girls to see that. I want them to see us cultivating the delight that we have in one another so that they know primarily that we love each other and we want to spend time with one another. But tonight what I'm going to talk about is mostly dating for singles because let's just be honest, that's, that's mostly why we're here tonight, right? I'm not trying to give you dating tips. I'm not trying to give you some ideas on, uh, on ways to date. You can text those questions in. But here's what I do want to give you. Dating for singles. Here's what I want you to hear. I'm not here to give you good advice. I'm not a practical theologian. Very, I'm not a very good practical theologian. I'm not here to just give you good advice. I am here to give good news. I believe I'm called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does gospel-centered dating look like versus good advice. Like I can just stand up here and rattle off a bunch of advice. Here's what, here's what a theologian says. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. The difference between good advice and good news is if, if, if let, let's say some, ba- some army is out on the field and they're battling, right? And they lose that battle and they send the herald back to the people and he runs back to the people and he says, Hey y'all, we lost. And he gives them good advice. You better grab your kids and grab your wife and grab your husband too because they're about to rape everybody up in here. Okay? Now, you better do it. That's good advice. But good news is different, right? Good news is they won the battle. And the herald comes running back to the people and says, we won. And the spoils are ours. We get to rejoice in what has been already accomplished. And all you can do there is respond to the good news that the battle has been won. And when that's true, we live our lives not following good advice, but responding to the good news of the work that has been done for us. That Jesus has paid the price for for us. That he has filled this deepest longing and loneliness that we don't have to look elsewhere to find happiness. That we are, now listen to this, I know Jerry Maguire elogians won't like this, but we are complete in Christ. We're not looking for our other half. We're not two halves trying to make a whole. It's not my other half. It's two becoming one. The good news is Christ has done the work that we as a people can live in this good news. And date with this good news at the center. So you see up the screen, this center set versus bound set. Now this is, I'm not going to go too much into this, but when the, when the gospel is at the center of our lives, it has boundaries that are built into it because the center we're tethered to. But we're not known by our boundaries. We're known by what we're tethered to, who we abide in and who abides in us. So we don't just go around going, don't do this, do this, have this. Because a lot of the questions in these settings become, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? 
The reality is, even if we said yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, you'd walk out of here and do whatever you want. But if the gospel is at the center, then these, this wisdom that these pastors give and these married couples give is not a boundary. It is life to us. It helps us. Now, I'm going to talk about this and then we'll be done in just a few minutes. I'm going to encourage you all tonight to date like Isaac and not like Jacob. Now, if you don't know these stories, you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24 and Genesis chapter 29. I'm not going to read the stories because I don't have a lot of time tonight, but it's a cool, cool thing to study. I want you to date like Isaac and not like Jacob. Now, here's a few things that I want you to hear. Um, how many of you, if I, let me just get a read on this. There's no like, boo, you don't read your Bible enough if you don't raise your hand. I just want to get a read. How many of you have heard these stories of Isaac and Jacob and their dating? Okay, most of you, some of you not, okay? I'll kind of reference it, but you want to go back to that. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was this father of, of this new nation. And Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. Isaac was that son that, that God told Abraham to, to go and sacrifice. Isaac has seen his father be obedient, even to the point of willing to lay down the life of his son. Isaac dated and married differently than Jacob did. Jacob now was a, a, another kind of character. He was from the womb, he's Isaac's son. He's fighting with Jacob to be number one. Now, if, if you look at, at, at scripture, I think Esau is like this man's man. His name means red and hairy. And Jacob means manipulator, usurper. So Jacob was known for going out in the woods, hunting, killing bears with his own hands, coming back and just flopping those animals on the table and telling Jacob who didn't like to get dirty, who was very clean and hung out with the women. He, he, was, he hung out with the women. He was the first metrosexual of the Bible, okay? So, so Jacob and Esau had this war. Jacob manipulated. Jacob usurped. Jacob deceived. And then he ran in rebellion from his house. And both Isaac, who, who is the son of this blessing, who lived under this covering of, this, of, of Abraham, both Isaac and Jacob, if you will, met their wives at a well. And that's probably the closest thing to what happens. But here's what happens when Isaac gets married. This is how he dates. He dates he had a covenant community and Jacob had rebellious isolation. See, Abraham calls his servant and says, Isaac is ready to get married. And they begin as a family, a covenant community, a people who love one another. They begin as a family to start to craft this plan of the type of woman that Isaac will marry. And you're like, are you trying to tell me that my mom and dad need to pick this woman for me or this man for me? No, I, here's what I am trying to tell you. You need 
to be in a covenant community and not in isolation if you're going to date in a biblical fashion. Community is extremely important. You need other eyes besides your own. You know how they say love is blind? If that is true, if that is true, you need people who have eyes, who can see not just what kind of person you should be with, but listen to me on this. If you're ready, Jacob runs out from the covering of his family and he's in rebellious isolation and he is making decisions on his own. He manipulates, he tricks, he deceives, and now he's just out there. What's the next thing that happens? Isaac started his dating process with covenant. Jacob started with contract. Now here's what happens. Abraham calls the servant... And Abraham says to the servant, put your hand on my inner thigh. Now, (laughs) afterwards, Ricardo will be sitting in the back. You can do that later, but not not with me. I'm not the pastor here. So um, we do that at our church. But uh, just kidding. Um, He says, put it. that, that, That sounds weird to us. But what that was, was make a covenant with me. This that we're about to go into is covenantal. And if you don't understand covenant, then you shouldn't be dating. When I got married, there was a professor that I looked up to in college and he heard that I'm getting married. And, and yeah, I'm 19, I'm 20, I'm 19 going on 20 years old. And my, and everybody's going, you should wait everybody. But my professor who I really respected said, Aaron, I heard you're engaged. I heard you're getting married. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, are you ready? I said, well, whether I am or not, sir, I'm getting married. And he said, Aaron, that is why your marriage will work. I said, why? He said, because you understand covenant. And most people who get married don't. That has stuck with me for life. If you don't start with covenant, then dating does not make sense. Here's what people think dating is. The precursor to covenant. Rather than if you don't begin with covenant, you have nothing to build with. How did Jacob date? You remember? He goes, he sees this woman and he comes up to her and he starts sharing with her all his desires and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But then he goes to the dad and the dad goes, hey, you want her? Yeah, I want her. Work for me. For seven years, earn her. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. Contract is all about that. Do they do enough for me? Let me let me negotiate a contract where my responsibilities are lowered and their and my privileges are heightened. And when you have two people who are trying to get less responsibility and more pleasure then that relationship has nowhere to go. Because immediately you're putting them in a contractual position where it's not about a covenant that we have with God where we understand what it means to not earn God's love or favor and God has a covenant with us so much so that he pursued us and brought us into relationship with him. It started with covenant and it outflowed in a beautiful relationship where covenant was the foundation. 
Listen, guys, if I could say anything to y'all, you better get a covenantal understanding and reject the worldly idea of dating that says this is a contract where I lower my responsibilities and I heighten my pleasure, get the most out of somebody else with the least amount of payment. But when it comes into covenant, it says, I joyfully take on greater responsibility and I serve them to the point of death. Here's another couple points and we'll end with these two. Three is this, Isaac responded to her beauty with a character test and Jacob pushed everyone away and kissed her and cried. This story is amazing to me. They're both at a well, like in different times and periods, but they're both at a well. Isaac's not there, it's the servant. But they're at this well and before he goes, here's what he says. When I see somebody, here's what I want to know. I want to ask them to feed my camels. And what, I, what, that, what they'll do is say, not, I mean, to, to serve me some water. And not only will they serve me water, but they'll say, can I get water for your camels and, you, and the servants? Can I get water for others? That they have this heart of a servant that doesn't just do what you're asking them to do, but they see need and they go out and meet it. And so he, in, in, in Isaac's scenario, he sees her beauty. And when she comes, he he says, can I get a drink? What happens? She says, can I serve your camels? Can I, can I feed them? Can we serve them? And in his heart, he knew that this was, this was what he was looking for. This was the one. But then he didn't even say anything until he went to her covering her father. He didn't explain to her, you're the one, we should get together. He went to her covering. There was this covenantal understanding and there was this character test and it was dealt with in authority way. Here's what Jacob did. Jacob's at the well. He's in rebellion and isolation. There's a bunch of ladies drawing water from the well and he sees this woman walking in, right? Beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. And here's what he does. He pushes everybody away from the well who is waiting to open the well until everybody gathers so that they get their fair share. But he pushes them all away and he, and he lifts off the top of the well to show off how, how much he is. No matter how much he pushed everybody away and no matter how much he treated everybody else. That's, that's a good sign. Listen, if you're looking at somebody and you want to know, is this the one for me? Don't look at how they treat you. Look at how they treat everybody else. Open your eyes and look at how they treat others. Because they'll put on a show for you. They'll treat everybody else like trash to make you think like you're super special. But the reality is, there's a sign that there's, there's something to be looked at. He pushes them away. And what does he do? He draws water and he runs out. He goes, girl, I, I, it doesn't matter what anybody's doing. It doesn't matter. It's just about me and you. He starts crying and he kisses her and he shares his whole plan. And then what happens next? The last thing is this. Isaac used dating as preparation. Jacob used it as an outlet for his passion. Listen. I want you to see that there was preparation that happened in community, in covenant. 
preparation for the covenant that was to come. He had gifts to give to the family. He had something to bring her back to. He had something to do to take care of her. But Jacob's there isolated in rebellion, sharing his passions and emotions and entering into a contract. You remember what happened to Jacob? He thinks he's going to marry her and then he wakes up after his wedding, rolls over and moo. The reason why I say that, that's very biblical. The Bible says that Leah, who he actually married, had cow eyes, right? And so it, that's what the Bible says. She had delicate eyes. She had cow eyes. And so he says, Moo, he, he married somebody he didn't even know. And then he runs out and he goes, you tricked me. And now Jacob enters into this divided, broken home. And the reality is, the way you see he lived out his life is the way you see he lives out his marriage in a magnified way. So my encouragement to you all is this, be gospel centered. Don't just look for a bunch of rules and boundaries, although we need to set boundaries, but let them be tethered to the gospel. Number two is this, let's let's be center set. Let's focus in on what Jesus has done for us. Let's grow deeper in our relationship and our covenant with him and let these relationships be an outflow of our relationship with Jesus. Lastly, let's take wisdom from Isaac and not Jacob. Ricardo. Hey, would you guys go ahead and um, be real quick? I want to invite the panel that's going to be up here. So the Carrillos, uh, Dana, and Holly, if you guys can come up here. We're going to and just be texting in questions. Um, questions on what you guys heard Aaron say. Questions on dating, um, sexuality, whatever that kind of goes into that, that huge uh, bucket. And we're going to be able to try to facilitate that. And I'm going to introduce the panel here um, in just a second here. Um, first, we guys just thank Aaron again. So uh, Jim said it earlier, but Aaron is a definitely a good friend of ours and a really, really good friend of mine. And, and it's not so often I get to have like a lot of black pastor friends like Aaron. So <laughs> I appreciate that when I do. <laughs> hey, why don't you and Dana go ahead and sit here in the, in the middle and then I'll come over here. I'm going to be the, the moderator um, of this and I'm going to let you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves uh, and how, your names, how long you guys been married. Um, I'm Cindy Carrillo. I'm Andy Carrillo. We've been married for 35 years now. Almost in May will be 35 years. But we dated a long time. So we've actually been dating for 43 years this month. I'm Dana. (laughs) Married to him. Been married for 15, I think you said it 80 times, but we've been married for 15 years. We have five kids. Yeah, so that's me. I'm Holly, and I'm married to him, and we've been married five and a half years and two kids. I'm going to move the still. What? You guys know what I look like. Um, <laughs> So we got some questions. We'll start firing away. 
Okay, should the family of who we date affect... <laughs> should a family of who we date affect our relationship? Uh, and then should their family scare me away? Holly, why don't you guys... Why don't you come in? I just figured with my, with my family... <laughs> This is this is this is powerful. Um, I'm really glad I got the first question. Uh, I would say um, you have to be prepared. So I'm, we're entering into a, in marriage, you enter into a covenant with your spouse and then with God. Um, so you're not marrying that person's family per se, but you are going to be in a very close relationship with that family. And so you have to take that into consideration when you're, when you're dating them. But, um, ultimately like there should be no, there shouldn't be anything. If you're a believer and if you're the per- hopefully the person you're marrying is a believer, there shouldn't be walls of division to the point that it would tear down your relationship between you and your spouse or you and your potential spouse. Um, so it's definitely something to take into consideration. Um, but ultimately, even those hard parts, so maybe if it's a family of a different race, per se, um, uh, and there's some maybe some potential tension there or just cultural differences that you would have to encounter. Um, it's an opportunity to let the gospel come to bear in those areas. Um, so I don't know if I answered the question. But. Next question. What are some of your most memorable dates that blessed both of you and your wife? That's a, yeah, I, most memorable, read that again. What's the most memorable? Most memorable dates that blessed both you and your wife. After we were married. Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. It's probably the dating after marriage uh, was more so than dating before marriage. Before marriage, you still got all that stuff you do when you're dating and the, um, the games you play and all the rest of that stuff. And once we were married... That was kind of out of the way, and we could be a lot more relaxed. And, I, and so I guess a lot of dating that we've had after marriage has been the best stuff. Way more fun. I'll let Dana answer that because my criteria for a good date is not really able to be talked about. But I'll let <laughs> That's an after marriage yeah, date. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. <laughs> We do have five kids. Um, That's right. Gosh, I don't... Most memorable date? Yeah. That's a tough question. Wow. I go for quantity, not quality. (laughs) That's what we go for. (laughs) Next question. <laughs> Clearly, these guys are all talking about their dates after they're married, and we're not trying to put that picture. Uh, um, what does that say? 
explicate, can you explicate further on covenant and what it has to do with dating? I think covenant understanding, and I think this is extremely important if whoever's asking or whoever wants to know this, that they spend time really studying the covenant that God makes first. So it's his initiation of this covenant. So it's him loving and pursuing. So if we're going to talk about covenant, we've got to learn about God's love and his covenant with his people. And when we start to see that, we as his people begin with his covenant with us on how we should build relationships with others, right? So example of that would be a lot of people come to church to try it out, okay? They come to try it out to go, is this going to meet my needs? Does it have the ministries that I want and all these kinds of things? And I'm not saying that all of that is all bad, but the reality of it is, is the reason why we connect in community is because we understand covenant. That means we understand that God loves these people, not because of what they can do for us or not even because they're perfect, but because these are God's people. So I love the church and I'm connected to the community because of my understanding of that covenant with him. Same with my relationship with my wife. It has nothing to do of how she can take care of me, what she can do for me, how she feels about me, what she did that day. It has everything to do with going, no, I love her because of the covenant that I have with God, because of the covenant that I have with her. And that covenant is the foundation for beautiful delight in one another and beautiful enjoyment of one another. But we don't start with enjoyment or delight. We start with that understanding of covenant, which is this delight that we have in God, that he would love us. So we see the covenant he has with us and it draws us into a relationship of delight, enjoyment. So covenant theology, if you will, is extremely important when you're tra- talking about, am I ready to date? In my, in my opinion. Oh, that's good. My opinion too. <laughs> I just don't want to overstep. No, no, you've overstepped. <laughs> is it okay to date someone who is not a Christian? I'll take this one. Um, Here's what I would say when it comes to dating. Um, So I'm assuming this is someone who's not a married couple. Um, If you're married, you're married. Date that person, whether they're Christian Christian or anything. Date someone who has the same worldview as you. All right? And so if you're not a Christian here and you're a Buddhist, date someone who's probably a Buddhist. Um, If you're Jewish here, take someone who's Jewish. If you're an atheist, agnostic, whatever you are, have the same worldview. Because at least you're looking at the world with the same lens and the same beliefs, the same set of practices and so forth. Now, since majority of you probably here are Christian, um, if you are a believer in Christ and he is the center, exactly what Aaron said, if he's the center of, of, of everything and he's the most important person in the world with you and you're trying to date someone who may be the next most important person, you're going to want to share that. You're going to really want to share that. And me and Holly say that, me and Holly say this all the time is um, we really appreciate our friends who are not Christian and, and their marriage and how, long, how they've been able to be married for so long. It's evidence of just God's common grace. But um, it is really hard apart from the gospel. I mean, it's hard anyway, but with the gospel, there's so much beauty in it. What she was even saying about family, like she's gracious towards my family because she knows this is being recorded. Um, <laughs> there, there, 
it's, it's hard sometimes, but to be able to let Christ be central, not number one, central, right? Like central to everything that you do, it matters. And so within dating, yeah, because um, it, it really does. So the whole like um, evangel dating, like I'm going to date this person, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this person saved, and, you know, I've done it twice before, you know, so... Um, Maybe. And you know what? There are couples in this room who would go, man, but Ricardo, if my wife would have never dated me before we, we got married, and I wouldn't have probably been a Christian. And that's probably, um, that's probably true. And that's what God worked, worked, worked in. Because God is sovereign, he can use anything. I like to tell this story. One of my favorite pastors is C.J. Mahaney, and he talks about how he got saved while smoking a blunt. Now, I'm not going to hand out a bunch of blunts to you guys and be like, hey, let's see what happens, right? I know some of you, unfortunately, would like that, but that's not the route. That's not our plan of discipleship or evangelism. So, um, so yeah, I would say date someone with the same worldview because at the end of the day, as you mature, your worldview is only going to mature. And if you get married and you have ki- children as well, um, it matters. Um, it matters a lot. And um, so, yeah, that, I would say date with someone with the same worldview. If you're a believer in Jesus, date someone who's a believer in Jesus. Next question. How can a girl place themselves in front of a guy they are interested in in a godly way? So I won't let Aaron answer this. Dana? (laughs) Oh, because I'm not nice about this one. Um, I think, again, going back to the word and all the way back with Adam and Eve, when you read the story of Adam and Eve, Adam, the Lord brought Adam to Eve and showed him Eve, and Adam responded. And it was completely led by his father. It wasn't led by her presenting herself in front of him. And I think it's a matter of trusting the Lord and knowing that he's sovereign, he's righteous, he loves you, he protects you, he's your protector, he's your provider, he's your comforter, he's the one that's going to provide the opportunity for a man to see you and fall in love with you. And the reality is, that's the relationship you want to be in. You don't want to, at the end of it, go, I pursued this sucker. I, I went after him. He became mine. You want it to be that. He fell in love with me before I even realized he was around. He pursued me. He saw me. He watched me. And he fell in love with me. A lot of times, one of the biggest compliments that Aaron has ever given me is that he fell in love with the way I worship the Lord. And that's, that's a huge attraction. Was it was, he is was though at the time a huge attraction was that my love for the lord and that's not like a pat on the back for me it was like nobody has ever noticed that as far as boys went nobody (laughs) didn't pay attention to how i worship the lord but he took time to notice those things and that's melted my heart because it was something that went deeper and because of those things i feel protected by my husband i feel watched by my husband and it creates a whole nother um level that couldn't have been there if it was just me pursuing him and creating opportunity to be seen i know that's scary but it's trusting god i'm probably gonna say about the same thing but and i and i love your story and all that and i don't want this to sound like an opposing viewpoint but but here's another thing too you got to for the women especially because guys they like to act like they're in control they act to act like they've got everything in charge but they're a bunch of gutless chickens they're, they're just afraid of this kind of stuff and and they are not going to uh, most of them and you might they might even like you they might have had a crush on you for a year and a half but they're not going to make that move unless they get some kind of a sign because they're just afraid that way you know it's that long 
when you're back in the eighth grade, you make that long walk across the f- floor. You ask somebody to dance, they say, no, you got to make that long walk back. And they hate that. They're afraid of it. It's, it's tough being a guy. And, and I think the way we date nowadays is, is made it kind of harder because uh, now everyone just kind of hangs out and doesn't really date anymore. And so guys have gotten off easy. They don't have to get the guts to ask a girl out anymore. You guys should. Just do it. But it'll help a lot if you give them a little sign. Flirt a little bit. <laughs> they're, gonna cut that, they're probably going to cut that out, too. Um, and again, I, and I love his story about seeing her for the first time. But I guess one thing that concerned me is I don't want... It doesn't always happen like that. I was totally unimpressed with him. He was unimpressed with me. And... It doesn't mean, there's so many couples that we've been to weddings to that when they talked and saw each other, they were like, well, I think he's okay, but he's just kind of boring. And we're like, are you kidding me? This guy's great. Give him a chance. Just give this guy a chance. That's to the girl, of course. And he, of course, isn't asking her out because he's afraid. And so, you know, you're shoving him like, come on, just go ahead and give the ask. Well, they were unimpressed with each other. And now they're married, and it's a wonderful couple. We've been to so many weddings like that. And I, I guess I'm afraid I hear couples and young women in particular say, well, you know, we just didn't, it just didn't click. And I'm like, you met him once, and it didn't click, and now you're going to totally cut this guy off? You're not interested because he wasn't, like, doing a dance number? He's not on the band? He's not the top pastor? He's not, the, he's not Mr. I don't know. Like, you're looking for the showman or something, and you're not giving the quiet guy a shot. Um, it doesn't always happen that it, they, you see the person and all the bells ring and the stars go, and that's, it would be, it'd be nice and that would be great, but it doesn't always work that way. Um, it could work, I think some of the best is working a friendship. And we built a friendship and with lots of hard knocks in between it. Um, but we're more in love now than we ever were then. And no matter how we felt starstruck on our wedding day, is nothing compared to what it's like now. So if you're going to judge, oh, this is the one, by how you feel, it might often be hormones, too. <laughs> so I just kind of caution, it could be great and wonderful, but also could be he's just so dang good looking that you can't stand it, and you're thinking, this is Mr. Man, and actually he's just like, you just, you know, you know what I mean. So I'm just cautioning, okay, just to be cautioned. <laughs> What are some ways to cultivate meaningful discussions, conversations with your spouse as an introvert? Well, as an introvert. So how do you get to conversations? I'm not an introvert. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Uh, How do you get conversations started with your spouse? Um, And I'm going to even say even maybe in the person you're dating, if they're an introvert, and um, presumably that you're not. So conversation starters. Yeah, she's, she's the introvert. So I guess I should be answering this question. Oh. Well. <laughs> you guys want to answer this question? Um, are you guys? Oh, okay. Um, well, here's, here's what I would say. So I, I honestly not really sure if Holly is an introvert. Um, Becca Bostic, you guys know Garth, who used to lead worship here. I think she said it best. She goes, man, when she first met Holly and hung out, she goes, I realize Holly's not very shy. Ricardo just talks a lot. So... <laughs> That's the first thing. That's the that's the first the first thing you got to we got we got to clarify there. But I think the question for me is it's learning her passions. 
So if you're a guy, you're, learn what their passions are. Chances are, if you're the extrovert, you're constantly thinking out loud. You have a thousand passions and a thousand ideas that never get off the ground. And I'm just speaking from, my, my, from me. Like, that's me. So Holly probably knows everything about me. I have to find out and sit and ask tons of questions about what is it that she likes. Also pretty interesting, and I don't want to speak in generalization of an, of an introverted person time, sometimes, is they don't sometimes like questions like, what's the, if, what's the one thing in the world you want to change? Like, my, my wife, at least, is going, I don't like questions like that. I don't have favorites. Um, so your favorite this, it's, not, it's, it's learning what are your passions, what do you like to do, and then let's sort of enter into that. And I think when you can enter into those, those things, that's healthy. Even apart from the kids. It's easy to have conversations around your kids, but if you build conversations around your kids, one day, if you're, if you're doing a great job and God's blessing you, your kids are going to be gone, and they're going to be off, and they're going to be adults, and you're going to have 20 years of going, okay, how do we connect again? And so I think that's a part of it, is, is pursuing your wife's passions. And so for, for us, I don't want to give away all Holly's dreams and whatnot, there's a few things that Holly really desires. And so I need to make time for those things, um, for her to read in those areas, to study those areas. There's, there's a thought maybe that she may want to go back to school. So learning the things that she's learning because she's always hearing me speak and she's always hearing me talk about what, what is it I'm excited about. It's you all and it's the church. So it's finding those discussions. Now, one last thing. Jim Mullins taught me this, um, is that they have something similar to like, um, like a pot of... Um, conversation starters where they write down and they put it in a bowl, something like this. This is the way I interpret it, at least. And whenever they go on in a date or if they want to have something, they can pull something out of that and go, here's the topic we're going to have. And whatever that topic may be, they're able to just to spontaneously talk about that. And I think that's just kind of cool ways to, to think through some things and, um, and whatnot. So if you are the extroverted person, just make sure it's not always about, it's not always about you and it's not about your job and your work, especially if you're the guy in our situation where currently right now we decided that Holly's at home with the kids. And so um, when we go out, I'm not just talking about, hey, we got first Wednesdays. Can you believe how many people were there? Isn't it crazy to do a deal on dating and everyone shows up? I mean, like if we have conversations like that as opposed to like what she's doing. So how long should the dating period be before marriage? How, we'll just, we, we, I, I met Holly, we dated for eight months, and we got engaged, and then we were engaged for five months, we felt that was as fast as we can plan to get a wedding, and then so we knew each other a total of about 13 months before we got married, and um, that's what we did, and that's just one couple's journey. Ours is similar, we dated for a short period of time, and we're engaged for a short period of time, so uh, that's just what we did. We're the yang to their yin because uh, we dated eight years. Uh, I was a commitment phobe. And um, uh, Cindy finally got tired of waiting, got engaged to another guy. And I thought, whoa, you were serious about that then. And so, so I had to go. Then, then I was a pursuer then. I pursued like I had never pursued before. And um, so I had to convince her that, no, you really don't want that guy. And so that's why it took so long. He was right. But we're still together. So though you, you see that, I, don't, I, I think if you know and, um, and you have those eyes around you that Aaron talked about, um, the Bible says with many counselors you will succeed. Um, the, the misnomer here is people say, well, if I'm a Christian and I'm trying to um, save myself to marriage, and Paul says if you're burning, you should just get married because I want to have sex. That's not a reason to get married because you want to have sex. Um, 
I think you want to make sure that the spouse, the person that you want to marry, they're, they're ready, you're ready, and, um, and have people around you that would be able to walk along, along with you in that, in that sense and where you are in life. Like, quit talking to my hair over here, man. <laughs> Next question. Where do I... <laughs> where do I find a date? What are the best places, events, or any ideas to find godly potential spouse? Yeah. Right in this room. Right? You know, we, this, is, this is really something that we find strange because we, we, we talk a lot about dating and people your age and doing this. We, we went to a 710 retreat when we were over years, years ago, and everyone there was complaining. All the guys are complaining that there's no girls to date, and the girls are complaining there's no guys to date. And I... It was a target-rich environment, no matter which side you were on. It was like... Are you blind? Make a move. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. Next question. (laughs) Um, Could you talk about the role of being the uh, the spiritual leader within the relationship... How is that balance between the man and the woman? All right. Um, there's a lot of talk about, I need to be the spiritual leader. I need to be the spiritual leader. And usually you hear that from guys, and they put this pressure on themselves. And what does it mean to be a spiritual leader? Let's just take the pressure away. So going back to the same language that, that Aaron's been using is covenant. Understand that God has done something, and it's finished. So that's, it's not good advice. It's good news. Good, good advice is you're getting married. Be a good spiritual leader. Well, that's healthy, and that's good. But that only works if you do it. And so good, good news is something that's happened that you can respond from. The good news is you have something in you. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you have the spirit of Christ in you. So whatever it is that God has called you to do, you'll be able to do it. Now, it's just not going to happen by a blink of an eye. You have to grow at it. Holly was much more of a mature Christian when we start dating. So therefore, in essence, she was the spiritual leader, if, if I could say that. Um, she was just more, she was just more mature, but, but because she was such a leader, I think she gave space for me to be able to grow and understand my word and understand what it meant to, to, to be an example of, of Christ. Now, both of you mutually, male and female are both pointing to the other, pointing to Christ and praying for the other person and helping the other person become closer to their most glorified state. So therefore, um, both in the relationship are leading in that sense. Both male and female are pointing to Christ and pointing to their role. So as a man, you are to, in, in the marriage, you are supposed to lay down your life for your wife, to sacrifice for her in all that you do. And the wife and herself is supposed to play the role of Christ who willingly submitted to the Father. Um, and not in some, I have to, but I delight in order for you to, to show you your role. And so both are looking to Christ and saying, how can I best exemplify Christ in this relationship to this person and help that person uh, to their most glorified end? But the pressure should be off because there's no, um, there's, no, uh, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation. There's grace and the ability to do what God's called you to do. When do you have a define the relationship conversation and how can we reject someone in a loving way? When do you have a defining the relationship conversation? Yeah, DTR. Yeah, I don't know where that came from either. And how, not on Facebook. Um, And then how can you uh, reject someone in a loving way? 
Um, I think these these kinds of questions for sure are are important. I wouldn't say on the first time you meet him, you know. Uh, that's uh, I would I, I if you look at the story of Jacob and, and, and Isaac that we referred to, I, there was one part that really always impressed me was, and I know it wasn't Isaac actually there, but how long he watched before he spoke was super impressive to me. There's something to somebody who talks a lot that you just kind of distrust. And I'm speaking from experience. I have a lot of people who distrust me. Um, (laughs) Especially if you have to explain everything over and over again. Um, I do think that that needs to happen. But when that happens, I think there should be there should be a sense of I want I want to do I, we want this to go somewhere. Now, if you waited longer before you had that conversation, then the second question wouldn't happen so often, right? The idea of if I speak so fast and I'm constantly like not watching their character and their life. I'm just pouring out like Jacob, crying the first thing he sees her. And he's, he's, you know, he's making all these promises and all these kinds of things. Then you have to have that, how do I let them down easy? Because you made a ton of promises. It's not that you're letting them down easy. It's no, you know that you said a lot of things you shouldn't have said. You made a lot of promises you shouldn't have made. And so you, if I say that question of how do you do that? I say you should do it humbly and repent of all the promises that you made and, and that you should do it in a way that is repentant rather than just like, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me, you know? That it's this idea of going, listen, as, as we've walked through this, I made, you know, I, I thought that there was more here and I sinned in making a lot of promises that I, I, I can't keep and I know there's no way that I can save you from hurt. Here's the thing that, let me just add on to this. When you have that conversation, please give each other space. Don't try to do this. We'll just stay friends for a while type deal. I mean, that can happen down the road, like when someone heals. But I've seen this happen so many times where they they let them down and they're like, just to feel better about themselves. They're like, can we just still hang out and have this? And you don't even give the person you let down like space to heal. Because you're constantly trying to make up for your, here's what I would do. Trust God that he will heal them and don't feel like so condemned that you have to be the one to heal them, right? So let God do a healing in their life. And then once they're healed, that relationship as a friendship might come back. But don't feel like you have to be the one who, one, lets them down, who hurts them, and also heals them. Like, be the one who hurts them and let somebody else walk with them through the healing, right? And then on the other, on the other side of that, trust that God will heal them. He's, he, he's the one who can heal their heart in the midst of all that. And that's great advice. I love that. Um, I just want to talk about the first part of that, the define, when do we define the relationship. I think most people today rush into that way too soon. It's uh, a lot of times you're just not going to know. For, like for some reason... I talked to a lot of people in this age group, and, and, and the third date is the DTR date. I don't know why it's got to be that way, but it's, it's what they do. And then, they're like, okay, I've got to make the call now. And, and I was, I, I've got a good friend who is now married, but she was dumping the guy because it was the third date. And she goes, you know, there's really nothing there. And I asked her, are you dating anybody else right now? No. You got anything else going? 
No. Well, then give the man a chance to win your heart. I mean, he's willing to take the risk. And dating is risky business. You might have your heart broken. You might break someone else's heart. Everyone knows it's risky business. You know that going into it. So if he's willing to take that risk, keep on going. And now that same couple is married today. Andy slapped me in the face one time, too, and made sure that me and Holly got married seven years ago. So thanks a lot. Appreciate that. True story. How much of your past should you share? It's a good one. How much, your, how much of your past should you share with who you are dating? Okay, I'll take this one. Um, so, and we got about a little bit more time here, so probably one more question after this. But I want to take this one because, let's just be honest, most of us in this room that are not Christian, um, excuse me, most of us in this room that are not married um, still don't walk into marriage without some sort of bag. Um, most people that we sit down with to do premarital counseling, when it gets to the sex conversation, um, majority of the people um, have had some sort of sexual experience. Um, many of them by their own choice, and sadly, some of you not by your own choice. And, and, um, and that sucks. Um, but when it comes to what, what you're going to share with your, your, the person you're dating, that needs to be... Here's what hasn't been talked about a lot in here, but what we need to say. Wisdom and discernment is something that is lacking so bad in, with Christians. And the, the, those two, wisdom and discernment, those, you know those books like Job and Psalms and Proverbs? Um, they're not rules. They're wisdom. Um, and praying for wisdom and, wisdom and discernment is what we need. So we can't give you the right answers. It's something that does need to be shared, but it doesn't need to be shared early, and it should not be shared too late. And, and, and you need to have some wisdom in there. So I would say, before you say anything, I would meet with someone mature Christian in your life. I'd meet with one of the pastors. I'd meet with one of the women here. Um, outside of Aaron, Aaron and Dana, like, this, they go to our church as well. Just to let you know, this is not we, we brought people here so that you can see people and, and you can have those conversations, me and my wife, and how you would share it. Because it's not even so much what you do. What happens is people, and I made this mistake because I had a past sexually and my wife did not. And because you want to get it all on the plate, so you just want to know, I want to be with you, and I just want to throw, I, want to, I just want to get it out of the way, you can throw way too much at one time with far too many details that does nothing for the conversation. So you got to be wise about that. However, you can also hide some things behind your back and then get married, and then it comes out, and we deal with that as well. Um, so I think there's wisdom and discernment. And so when it gets to, here's just my personal opinion, when it gets to, how many people, listen, the question you need to know is, are you, are, have you had sexual experiences? Um, okay. It doesn't need to know who or what. I mean, because once you start putting names and the people know those people, it just, it just gets out of control. Um, ask what you need to know if you're the person who wants to know. And, um, and there's some couples who say that they, don't, they just don't want to know. Um, so it's wisdom and discernment, though. But it, it's a reality. And, um, and you do bring it into your marriage. So... What happens is people would say, oh, God's grace is going to cover it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, God forgives you for the penalty of sin. His grace does not take away the consequences of sin in this life. So though um, God forgave me from my lifestyle and though God healed me and God reconciled me with himself, these are questions, these are conversations that Holly and I had to have before we got married 
And these are also conversations we had when we get when we get married, because now your wife makes this covenant with you. The two do become one. And that's now her story. That's a part of the steward story. And it's not a it's not a pretty part. Um, So so God's grace will give you, I would say, what you need to work through the consequences, but it doesn't remove it. And so part of it is telling your story. And there's a lot of secrets in this room. We, We know that there's just a lot of secrets here. And so. Um, someone needs to know your story. And when it comes to the person you're dating, see where you are in the relationship. Last thing. When you give it away too early, people give it away. You give it away to somebody, you break it with that person. People don't keep secrets, guys. They don't. So whether it's who you've been with or what you've done, someone's going to tell somebody. Also, if you're not in a a situation where your relationship's that mature and it's maturing towards marriage, there's some deep things you may share um, things like sexual past, same-sex attraction, things like that that you wouldn't want the bulk of the people knowing, and it's so heavy on the person that you share it with, they feel, I can't carry this. I, I have to tell someone else. I believe as pastors, God's given us an ability to be able to carry the weight and the burdens of people to a degree. And so when I hear of someone who does not have that calling and someone said, hey, by the way, I've been molested, I have same-sex attractions, and here's some things that have happened to me, just wanted to let you know, that person is eyes wide open and it's hard for them not to tell anybody. So just be wise with your story. It's yours. It's what God is doing. He's actively caused or allowed. And so be wise with it. And so, again, wisdom and discernment, godly people. But that's a very touchy, touchy, uh, touchy subject. We'll take one more one more question. Um, in my past, the world informed what I thought to be attractive. How do I now as a Christian desire godly beauty for more and be attracted to those traits? I'll let, I'll let you close this out. Okay. Um, I think that we mentioned that in passing in a short time in the message is the attraction that both texts talk about the woman being beautiful. But instead of reacting immediately to the beauty um, in the story of Isaac, the, the servant gave a character test, right? To see the character. Now, I would say, man, you want to be attracted physically to a person you're going to make covenant with, okay? So I'm not downplaying that. What I will say is that that doesn't Last, Like, that's not something where the same guy I was. Thanks be to God, my wife grows in beauty. You're right. Me, I'm just like in this spot where I'm like, help me, Jesus. Um, <laughs> she's, <laughs> and I, I, I do think physical attraction is a massive part of it. I'm not downplaying that. But it's not as important as the character of the person that you're marrying, right? It's, it's, it's the story in Hebrews where you see, like, don't, don't, don't be sexually immoral like, like Esau. And, and Esau, if you know, like, he, he doesn't have a big past of sexual immorality. He ate a bowl of stew. So don't be sexually immoral like Esau who ate a bowl of stew. And you're like, I've eaten a lot of stew and never felt sexually immoral after I got done with that stew. I mean, I've had some good stew. And it... <laughs> It might have turned me on, but I never felt sexually immoral. And so you're like, what in the world happened to Esau at that moment that, that the Bible compares it to sexual immorality? And, and the reality is, is that he sold 
his birthright for a bowl of stew. Like stew is good, but not that good, right? So when you're looking at beauty, that's good. And that should, like attraction should be seen and go, that's good. But it's not that good to where you would sell off all of these other things that are far more valuable. So when you're saying, how do we, how do we get these new attractions? We really need to start, like you said it so well with the wisdom and discernment thing. We really need to start asking the Holy Spirit to give us these gifts that will change our desires, that will open our eyes to things that are far more beautiful. And I'll tell you this, I'm extremely attracted to my wife, but the things that really attract me to her are her character, how she loves and serves others. Uh, the, the story that I would tell you, like, one of the most attractive things is my wife, and we have five kids, and so I've said that a bunch of times, so, so that she, she's figured out a way to get up really early in the morning to do flowers to help bring in some money for our family so that we can support this beast of a family that we have, right? I work two jobs. We work together. We spend time together. We try to make all these things work. Well, she gets up at like five in the morning before the kids go to school, go do these flowers. And, and, and so our baby right now is not yet two. She's completely rebellious. She doesn't sleep through the night very well. Uh, that's rebellion to me. Like you are keeping me away. She doesn't think about us. She just wakes up and screams. And she's like, she doesn't care that we have to get up at five and all these kinds of things. And I was so tired, and I try to get up and take care of the baby, and I'm seeing, and I was so tired, and Dana gets up, and I'm, I'm laying on the couch and sleeping, and I look over at her, and she's playing patty cake at like three in the morning with my two-year-old. And it's hard to explain, like, she's beautiful, but that was sexy, right? That's, <laughs> that is incredibly beautiful. And when you start to see those kinds of traits in somebody else, those are the things that, that last. Those are the things that continue. Those are the things that... So I would say, don't overlook beauty, but put far more weight on, do they serve other people? Do they love the church? Do they, do they give their lives for the sake of the gospel? Do, do you... Are, do you want them to just focus on you or are you attracted to the fact that they want to love and serve other people? That they want to open their house and, and, and feed those who are broken a lot. The things that are godly become attracted to those things and those, and those are God giving you new desires. And when you start to see those things in somebody else, that's where I'm going, man. That's, that's something that you're, 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 you're going beyond just the, the, the outward appearance things. Hey, um, we're going to be able to, to wrap uh, this, this session up uh, before, yeah, Jim's going to come up real quick. Real quick, um, before we thank Aaron, um, those of you who have ki- kids, if you can thank the people with, um, in children's ministry or that's uh, helping over there, those of you who weren't able to check your kids in because it was full, um, we apologize about that. So good plug in. Um, if you want to be able to help on First Wednesdays so that we can have families that show up, I would contract Audra, contact, got contract. Not contract, covenant. Uh, is, uh, as I would contact Audra Garbinski. Um, and and uh, if you could just serve once a month for First Wednesdays, that's when we usually need the most help. You can get trained for that. It's a, it's a great opportunity for us to continue to fill up, fill up these rooms. Um, would you guys, again, just thank, thank Aaron and Dana for taking the trip out here?
All right. To close out the night, I just wanted to say this one thing, that um, we sincerely love you and care for you, and we pray for your relationships. We pray for your marriages. Let us know if there are ways that we can pray for you. Furthermore, next week, if you want to keep thinking about this and keep going deeper, uh, Ryan Arneson is going to be teaching a class on marriage. Him and Janet will be teaching and uh, kind of sharing their experiences. Uh, we'll be meeting here in this room, same time, 6.30 next week. Um, so follow up, come to that class. You'll, you'll want to sign up online. And then the two following classes after that, we're, the two Wednesdays after that, the 20th and the 27th, we'll be doing uh, our, our SENT class, which is really our class on mission. And I'll be teaching that. You can sign up online as well. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close out the night, and then I'm sure you'll have fun conversations this evening. So, Father, thank you. Uh, I thank you for everyone who's on the stage here and how you have been sovereign over their story, how you've been their good shepherd. And I pray for everyone else who's in this room as well, that you have, have been a good and great God to us. You are our King. We pray for every uh, painful relationship and painful marriage and we pray that you'd bring healing and comfort, and we, we pray uh, that in, in all of these relationships that we would uh, love one another in a way that, that makes much of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.